Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. In Matthew chapter 6, the next couple weeks, we will see laid out for us the actions of worship that a disciple should have. The actions that a follower, a learner of Jesus should have in their life. Yeah, I think of um, you know, all the different things that are out there that are written for Christians that are recommended for our spiritual growth. Have you ever read one of those books? A spiritual growth book? Go ahead and raise your hand. Let's embarrass ourselves. I've read one of those. I've read multiples of those because in, our doc- in my doctorate program I constantly have to critique books and things like that. And some of the books I have to critique is spiritual formation books. We call them spiritual formation. How to grow in Christ. Right? And these books will have various things about doing, you know, Christian yoga. And, you know, how I don't see really how Downward Dog ties into, you know, uh, Scripture. But apparently some people see that. It'll be on meditating. It'll be on all these different things. But I think the most important thing for us to do if we truly want to form spiritually, spiritual formation, is to see what does God say. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're really going to get to the heart of spiritual formation, what it means to grow as a follower in Christ, and what steps we really should take. And Jesus here, He's going to separate things that, that typically were done to be seen. You know, the, the Pharisees, they would go in the street corners and they would pray out loud because why it was their time to pray. And because they are used to praying at this certain time, at this certain day, at this certain hour, they would pray right there for everybody to see them. And Jesus is saying, there is no formation or growth in that moment. They would give, as we're going to look at today. They would give, but they would give so everybody could hear every single coin be dropped inside of that purse. They would give to the needy, but they would do it announced. Come here, needy person. Come beside me as I take care of you. Jesus is saying, what growth is in that? You're doing it to be heard, to be seen, to to preserve what you have. Even when it comes to our spiritual life, He's saying, hey look, there's a spiritual way of looking at wealth. And if you're looking at wealth in the, in the eyes of let me preserve it, let me build it, he says, you know what? Then you're doing things in a hypocritical way. With personal growth, we're to look to grow in Christ. Jesus contrasts this. He's like, hey, look, it's all about that personal growth, that personal conversation, the personal and heavenly reward. 
that God has for you. That's what 1 John chapter 3 is all about. Let's just go there real quick. 1 John chapter 3. Hold your spot in Matthew chapter 6. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, Jesus is about to take us in a contrast between word and deed, doing things to be seen, doing things to be heard, doing things for the sake of the tradition, and doing things out of the heart of the individual. Doing things because you want to grow in Christ and because you love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's about to take us in the contrast of what it means to be seen, to be heard, to preserve for yourself what it means to live and grow in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, he says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Do not do things to be noticed by man. Why? Don't do things to be noticed by men because you think it merits something. Don't do things to be noticed by people so you get a pat on the back of good done. Well done. You're such a great and holy person. Do not do things because you feel a religious sense of duty. But do things because of the outpouring of love of God into your life moves you to move. Amen? It moves you to want to do things. Lord, Your love is so moving me to do this, this, and this. Your grace is drawing me into this moment. And Your mercy is overwhelming me to live. You see, part of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we, we love to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? Because that's our salvation passage. For it is by grace through faith you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. What is the gift of God? That salvation, that grace that you've been shown. But then we come to verse 10, and it says, For you were created to good works. In Christ Jesus, so do them. It's not saying that our salvation is tied to works and actions. It's not saying that every time we do an action or we give to the church, we're meriting a little bit more grace. No, because it says that our salvation is given the moment we trust Christ. In fact, Jesus says that direct quote, John chapter 6, verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has, present tense, has eternal life. So your works don't earn you salvation. Your works don't sustain your salvation because you have salvation at the moment you believe. What do they do? Let me put it to you this way. If one of you was sick, if one of you was in the hospital, if one of you was, and I don't want any of this, you're all looking at me like, Pastor, oh my gosh, how could you say this in this moment? 
Judy, stop, prete she's pretending. That's what, that's what that was. You okay? <laughs> she's getting too excited. Holy Spirit's coming over her. So, yeah, somebody get a little bit of water for her. Right? There we go, see? So, in Scripture, it talks about, okay, let's just follow this along, what are works for? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. We're separate from our works. But it says that works are important. If you were sick and in the hospital, and I came to you with some balloons, with some chicken noodle soup, with uh, uh, you know get well card and all those things, okay, and then you got well, and you wrote me this thank you card. Pastor Cody, I appreciate you stopping by the hospital. I appreciate you bringing me that chicken noodle soup. It just was so good to my, you know, just as the book says, to my soul. And it really just encouraged me. I love those balloons. I love the happy faces. It really cheered my day. The thank you card would be payment for what I brought you, right? It would be payment? No, no one would ever say that a thank you card is payment for something that's given freely. I brought you those things out of the kindness and love that I have for you. And I gave it freely in your time of need. The thank you card is just a written appreciation. You see, brothers and sisters, our life lived in works and action is a thank you card written to our Savior for what he is freely given. Except Jesus didn't give us a chicken noodle soup. It was like giving us a kidney or a new heart in the time of great need when we would die without it. And our life can be written as a thank you. Our life can be given as a Lord, I love you, and this is what I want to give you. Not because you're requiring it. Not because I need to earn it. Not because I need to build upon this but because I love you and what you did for me on the cross. You see, we should be motivated by love. His love that went on us and His love that continues to grow in us. It should be motivated by His grace that is poured out upon us. And it should be motivated on His mercy that we don't get what we deserve. Motivated to grow and learn more about Him. And want to know His suffering and understand it in the best way possible. And it's in that thought and mind that we have this idea of what motivates our actions to grow in Him that Jesus comes to in Matthew chapter 6. What is your motivation for growth? and the things that you do in your spiritual life. Now in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with the idea of giving, but he's going to go through the motivation for praying, the motivation for fasting, your motivation for treasuring things, your motivation for worrying. Why are you worrying so much? What is your motivation for all the things that you do in life? And each time Jesus teaches these things, He ties it back to the main thought in verse 1. Which is the word hotan. Which means therefore, or consequently, or accordingly. 
Therefore, therefore, when you do these things, he continues to tie it back to the main thought. Do it for your growth, not to be like a hypocrite. Do it to grow in your relationship with Jesus. When you pray, do it therefore in this way. Therefore, when you give, do it in this way. Therefore, when you fast, do it in this way. Therefore, when you worry, do it in this No, Jesus doesn't want you to worry. Everything is tying back to the understanding of therefore, when you do this, have the heart that is motivated in these actions. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it puts it in these terms for us to really understand what Jesus is getting down to. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Paul's saying, I live for Jesus because He died for me. I live for Jesus and I do everything for Him because of the great gift of grace that He poured out on my life. I'm doing it for the reward of knowing Him and knowing Him better and greater. For the reward of a changing life in Jesus Christ. And changing our life in Him means we become part of Him and let Him take control of every aspect of your life. As it says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Can we say that? It means, Lord, I want to hand over this area of my life to you. Lord, I want to begin to follow properly. I want to follow you with my very life and my very lifestyle, with my very thoughts, with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I want to start changing from the inside out. I want you to take control of every aspect so my kids, when they see me and they hear me, they don't see me, they see you, the actions you would take, the thoughts you would have. When I'm at work, people won't hear my voice, they'll hear your words coming out. They'd be encouraged by what they hear, what they see, what they're interacting with. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean we'll always be successful. Paul gives us a definite account of, of how we will constantly be at battle with ourself, with the world, and with the inward person in Romans chapter 7. He says, wicked man that I am! Oh, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, right? So brothers and sisters, even though Paul could claim that he was in Christ, he could at the same moment say, I struggle. And every one of us will have that struggle. But it's a daily grind to follow Jesus, isn't it? Every single day, the disciples had a decision to make as they woke up. 
Every morning, the disciples had a decision, a definite decision they would have to do, which is, am I going to keep on following this rabbi, this Messiah, this Jesus? And Peter makes a statement, and Jesus, hey, we left all. We've abandoned family. We've abandoned fortune. Because we know that you are the only one that has the words. Because we want to be found in Christ. So when you give, how do we give? Well, Jesus gives it to us in Matthew chapter 6. We already read verse 1, but he continues on in verses 2 through 4 as he talks about these spiritual formations, the things that we should try to do in order to grow in him, and that the the people of the day, the holy men of the day, had twisted to be something to get a pat on the back. He says, so when you give, when you give to the poor, do not Sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the street corners so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be done in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give, you're not to do it for the righteous acts of giving. You're not to do it with the thought of adding to your salvation because you can't add to your salvation it was given to you at the moment of belief. You can't do it as a way of thinking that you're buying or adding to grace. Adding to your lot in heaven. Because Jesus says, hey, that's what the hypocrites do. They do things for a reward that's temporary here on earth, a pat on the back. They do it to be seen by men, to be seen as holy. They do it for uh, something to get back in return. There's a funny little story I heard of a grumpy old man. His name was Mr. Johnson. And Mr. Johnson never wanted to help with anything at church or in the community, and he rarely gave to the homeless or to the church, and All those sad TV ads of the dogs, you know, sitting there, the homeless dogs that need adopting in the the pound and things like that with Sarah McLaughlin paying in the background, I will remember you. He would just completely like close his heart to that and like, I don't care about those things, you know. Um, The homeless children in Africa, never phased by that. Uh, All those things, he was just, you know, just totally a closed book. It's my money and I'll, I'll do what I want with it. When it came to volunteering, they would pass a clipboard at the church and he would write on it really big, don't ask Mr. Johnson. And then he would pass it to the next person. I mean, this guy was a miser. But then there was his wife, Miss Johnson. Everybody loved Miss Johnson. She went above and beyond in everything that she was ever asked to do. She would go beyond it. Most of the time, you never had to ask her something. She would come in and let you know she had already done it. She signed up for everything. She shared Jesus with everybody. Um, Any penny that she had would always go out to somebody else. 
And when, she, when, when, when Mr. Johnson died, she was sitting at his side, just nursing him, loving on him, encouraging him, just trying to do everything that she could for her husband to calm his last few days. But everybody in church realized that it was more of a relief than anything. Because he wasn't a nice person. Well, when he got up to heaven, Mr. Johnson was uh, just excited to be here. He was like, hey, I made it, I'm here. And he's all excited and, and God looked at him and he's like, uh, why should I let you into my heaven? He said, well, I trusted you as Savior. He's like, yeah, that's true, okay. So he looked at the angels that were escorting him around and he said, I want you to go ahead and take Mr. Johnson to Johnson Way. Mr. Johnson was all excited. He's like, Johnson Way? Oh my goodness, I have earned the spot of having a street named after me within heaven? And so he was taken to Johnson Way, and as he came to Johnson Way, he saw this gigantic mansion, just this gorgeous mansion. It looked more like a castle than anything. Just beautiful. I mean, the stone etching was just something marvelous, and it was just all marble and gold and all this beautifulness. He started looking in the window, and he could see these beautiful things all inside of the mansion. And he went up to the door, just excited to bust in, and he turned the knob, and it wouldn't go. Turned the knob, and it wouldn't go. And he's going, what is going on here? And the angel just pointed up, and he looked, and on the door it says, reserved for Miss Johnson. Ah, he was so upset. And he goes, so where am I going to stay? And the angel pointed to this tiny, little, beat-up, rustic, nasty little shack in the corner. And he said to him, what is that? Isn't that for the dog? And he said, we did the best with what you sent up. Now, I don't know if that's how it works in heaven. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it doesn't, okay? But I thought it was a cute little story of how so many of us approach things in life. And our goal, as Scripture tells us as believers, is not to build up what we have here on earth. Or even to do things to be seen, even if they're good intended things. Our goal isn't to hear from you guys. Listen, my goal as a pastor, even though I love every single one of you, as your shepherd is not to hear a great job from you guys. Even though I enjoy those, I love those, I love your thank you notes, they just encourage me, those are great. But what I love and I'm seeking more than anything is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that should be your goal as well. And everything you do is not to be uh, seeking the reward of man, but seeking the reward of God, your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says that here. He says, seek your reward that is in heaven, not your reward that is here on earth. Verse 1. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, if you would, let's go there together. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 16. 16, 10 through 16. Jesus says this. Again, that's Luke 16, 10 through 16. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. Basically, he's saying, hey, look, you know what? A person 
that you can trust with $5, you can trust with 500 bucks. And that's typical in life, isn't it? And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also with much. Listen, if you cut corners on something tiny, you're going to cut corners on something big. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, and, and unrighteous wealth, just to let you know, what Jesus is saying is basically money of this earth is considered unrighteous wealth, okay? He's not saying you got it unrighteously. It's not that you went and, you know, sold some stuff contraband. It's not any of those types of things. It's not that you're cutting corners or anything. He's saying unrighteous money. Unrighteous money is just money here of earth. Okay, so continuing on, verse 11. Who will entrust the true riches to you? Remember, we're supposed to work for the riches of heaven. Your treasures in heaven. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Now who is Jesus trying to get to in this? Well, obviously it has its applications to you and me, but the next verse lets us know exactly who he is speaking to the heart of. Verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they began scoffing at him. And he said to him, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Oh, yeah, yeah no, I, I've seen your actions. Yeah, I saw, I saw you help that poor guy as you announced it to the world. Verse 16, the law of the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. He's like, man, look, the glorious gospel that I am presenting to you guys is not a works salvation. You're not going to get there by trying to force your way there. That's what he's saying in that last portion of that verse. The, the gift of God comes at believing in Jesus Christ. Now start living like you know what grace is. Start living not for the reward of man, but the reward of Jesus. Jesus says, be faithful with the things in life that aren't faithful things, that are here today and gone tomorrow. Start being faithful with those things. Be generous to God with the things that don't last forever. Where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. Pharisees are faithful when they are seen, but a follower of Jesus Christ will be faithful when they aren't seen, when no one's watching, when no one's around, when the moment of truth really comes. 
You see, that's when you truly know if what you believe is really real in your life. When no one's around and you still do the right thing. When no one's there and you still do what it takes to follow Jesus 100%. Because where the law had stopped in managing man's actions, the gospel comes in and touches the heart of man. You see, the law could not manage your heart. The law could not change your heart. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, look, they've been trying to force you to change your heart, but I'm coming in with grace. And grace touches your heart and changes you from here outward. So let grace touch your heart. Let forgiveness be what guides you. Let the love of Jesus be what pours out into others. Jesus said the law, the law of actions, stop being preached with John the Baptist. And now here's this glorious gospel. The new covenant sealed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's where we are today. Amen? And praise God we're in that today. Amen? Because we're not being guided by religious actions that are required by us. Our righteous judge Our great high priest, after giving his offering, Hebrews says in chapter 10, he sat down at the right hand of God. Meaning his actions were done once and for all. But Jesus wants our hearts and our actions to be ones that are given up to him. Because just after I said to begin with, after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, talking about our forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, it talks about our actions. Verse 10, that Jesus has prepared in our lives so we could do them. Jesus wants our heart to be tied to our actions. In verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Your actions are not for man, but they're for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, Paul takes that same understanding, that same idea that you're not working for people, that you're working for God. In Colossians 3.23, he says, Everything you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that our reward is from God and not from man. It's not about a pat on the back. It's not about a popularity or an earthly prize. Your reward is from the Lord, which is a rich inheritance, is what verse 24 says. You're getting a reward of a rich inheritance. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The Lord is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. Think about that. So even things that you have failed at trying to do for the Lord, He sees right through the failure and sees your heart. You know how many times people have gone out and tried to share the gospel and it has ended in total failure? But God doesn't say, hey, look, you failed at that. You're a horrible evangelist. No. 
He judges the heart and the intention of man. That's why Jesus could come in Matthew chapter 6 when everybody else is looking at the Pharisees and they're looking at them giving and they're looking at them praying and they're looking at them fasting and they're all like, man, I wish I could be like that holy man. Jesus is saying, don't be like that holy man. Because Jesus sees their heart. Jesus sees their intentions. And he says, those people are as hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees, the hypocrites. They do these things to be seen. I heard a story of John and Diana. John and Diana, they had had dated for a very long time. Uh, many, many years, and finally John had planned to go ahead and pop the question on his girlfriend Diana. He was going to go ahead and propose, and he wanted to make things nice, and so he got flowers ready, he had them at the table, he had the candles burning um, quietly and beautifully, he hired a band to play her favorite music in the background, he had the ring that was going to come out on the lobster claw as it came out from the restaurant, he had everything planned beautifully and perfectly in his, eye, eye, in his mind and everything was just going perfect. And at that perfect moment as the food would be prepared, he would get down on one knee and he would pop the question and this is exactly what he said. He said, well Diana, we've been together for many years. And to be honest, I don't really think that we're right for each other. And to be honest, I don't think either of us are truly in love with one another. But after all this time, I guess this is the right thing to do. And Diana was so swept off of her feet in this memorable moment. Of course not. You see, you can have all the actions of the world, but it's the intention of the heart, isn't it? No woman in her right mind would accept a proposal that was like that. Why? Because the intention was not there. Now, if the opposite would have happened, where the, you know, they lost the ring as the lobster claw came out, if, the, you know, if the, the band that was playing didn't know how to play anything but you know, Enter Sandman by Metallica, and it was just a total, total wreck, you know, uh, they didn't know her favorite song. If, if, the, you know, if the place that they went to was known for you know, people getting salmonella poisoning, you know, but the guy looked into her eyes and said, I am more in love with you today than I have ever been in love with you, and I want you to spend the rest of your life with me. It's all about the intention of the heart, not the actions of man. Amen? And that's what Jesus wants, is your heart. The action of the Pharisee is unacceptable because of the attitude in which it's done. The heart and the mind are not there together. It's a stance of, I'm doing this because, rather than I'm doing this because I love you. I have to, but I don't love you. Jesus said the actions of the hypocrite is, I have to, not I love you. And because there is no love in their actions, they want credit. Because I don't love you, I want credit. I want a pat on the back. They do it loud. They do it for notoriety. They do it to be seen. Verse 2 says they sound a trumpet. He says, I don't want you to sound the trumpet. Because that's what the hypocrites do. 
Sounding a trumpet doesn't literally mean they pulled out a trumpet and started playing, oh, when the saints go marching in, okay? I don't want you to take it that way. That's not what they were doing. Verse 3 says they have the reward in full because they've been seen by men. They've done it to be displayed and to be noticed. And that ties into the understanding of what it means to play the trumpet. You see, back in that time, they had treasury boxes. And those treasury boxes were these beautiful metal boxes with ornate etchings all over it. You know, it was just beautiful for the temple so people could come and drop in their, in their tithes. And back then it was this required tithe. You guys, you give what we believe is grace giving, which is just this love offering. It's not a requirement. It's not a set percentage or anything like that. Well, they would come in with their 10%, and trust me, they counted out every coin. They would come in with their 10%, and there was this horn that came out. And I think I have a picture. Yeah, there we go. We have a picture. And, and, uh, and they had these horns. The, the horn would be from either a ram or a goat or whatever it might be, and it would be hollow inside. And so when you dropped in your coins, they made a clunking sound all the way in, and then when it hit the metal, it did ding, 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 ding. And what it says in, in Scripture is that they would sound the trumpet. They would sound the horn. Meaning, when they would go to give, they would sit there and they would drop coin by coin by coin by coin so people could hear the amount that was being dropped in. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you give, I don't want you to sound the horn. I don't want people to know how much you're giving. I don't want people to say, oh man, do you hear all that change dropping into that box? Man, they are so in love with the temple. But when you give, I want you to give in such a way that God knows your heart. God knows the love that's flowing into you because you are following Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, the heart needs to be the one that's giving. Not a requirement. I want you to have a heart that's grateful for the grace that you have. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. If you would, please go there with me. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, so he's opposite the box with the horns. And he began to observe how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich were putting in large sums. Cling, 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 cling. They're sounding the horn. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury. He's saying the amount that that woman put in was more. Why? Because it was her heart. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned and all she had to live on. 
The Bible says he sat down near the entrance of the court where the men worshipped, and he was observing the people walking in and dropping in their coins, sounding the horn. And here comes this widow with barely anything. Two shaved down copper coins that equaled one mite, one coin. And the word used here to describe her coins is actually more of what has happened to them than anything else. It's the word lepta or lepton in the Greek. And it literally means two thin shaven coins. You see, in that time, metal, precious metals, you could trade in the market. So more than likely, what she did was she would shave down her coins so she could buy food for that day. Just, just the amount to make it for that day. So she would shave down the copper and trade it for a little bit of grain. She would shave down the copper and trade it for maybe a half a loaf of bread, whatever it would be necessary to make it just for that day. So she had these two thin wafer coins. And she came and she dropped them into the horn. And where everybody else's coins made sound is they went into that horn and they clanged around and they were sounding that horn. Hers, being so thin, more than likely didn't even make any sound as they went in. But Jesus says she's given more than anybody else. Because it's in the heart, not in the amount. It's not the quantity, it's the heart. It's the heart, not the size. It's the heart that Jesus wants of his disciples. He wants to change that heart. He wants to mold that heart. He wants to work that heart. So in the end, it's not the display of the person. It's the likeness of him that's on display. At Southwest Community Church, we don't pass a plate. Part of that is because we don't want the clanking and the sounding of the horn. We've never passed a plate. That's something that the founding pastor made a decision on. And every one of us pastors since then have carried on that tradition. Why? Because your giving is something personal between you and God. We're called to do it joyously as unto the Lord trusting God for His faithfulness and allowing Him to work through you yet one more area of your life as you seek to follow Him in what you do. So He can multiply your treasures. I can't multiply your treasures. I can't come up here and say that you're going to get five times what you put in. I would be lying if I said that. But we do it trusting that God is faithful. Amen? You see, Jesus ends his teaching in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 5 on giving with verses 3 and 4. He ends his teaching on giving in verses 3 and 4 by saying that the best way to give is quiet personally and privately. Quiet personally and privately, verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Now, I know a lot of people, they look at this and they're saying, yeah, but it says when you give to the poor, but he's talking about giving to the offering boxes, dropping the coins inside the horn, sounding the trumpet. Back then when they gave, it came to the temple and it was divided out. Friends, giving is not a percentage. But it's a prayer of God, how much? It's not monthly or a weekly action, but Holy Spirit, when? And it's not a matter of even who. Because when our heart and our mind is right, who we're doing it is for Him. Amen. So it doesn't matter what sign that person's holding up as you drive by. It doesn't matter if you're doing a fundraiser for the church or whatever it might be. In everything you do, do it as unto the Lord rather than for men. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is coming with me to render unto every man according to what he has done. And he ends, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a disciple. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.